0: I want to talk to you about just learning to trust the goodness of God, and I think that's something that we don't often just talk about and reflect upon, that we can trust God's goodness to us. The Bible has a word that not many of us are familiar with. It's a Hebrew word, and it's called hesed. Hesed is where we get the word loving kindness from. Hesed is a word where we get his tender love, his, his loving mercies to us. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. And when I discovered that word, it became a, a word that sometimes I would just use in my prayer time just because I wanted to remind myself of the root of it. God's loving kindness is a shock when you think about religions because. Christianity is the only faith, Judaism and Christianity are the only faiths that teach that God is a loving God, that he's a God who loves us. As a matter of fact, that's shocking and surprising story in the Old Testament where God put Moses in the cleft of the rock and covered him with his hand, and when his glory came by... What surprised Moses and what surprised everyone was the words that the Lord our God, that he is a, he's full of loving kindness, He even shows his mercies and loving kindness unto a thousand generations of those who fear him or obey him and love him. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And when I think about that, I have no right to expect anything from God, that God would say to me, Dennis... I am going to show you and your family loving kindness. And he would say to you, I'm going to show you and your family my loving kindness. We have no right to expect that from God, but that's exactly what God in his hesed is saying to us. And the shocking thing about Jesus was this, that Jesus came in the form of a servant. He came as one of us, born to his parents, uh, Joseph and Mary, the virgin birth, and lived among us as one who served and said of himself, I came not to serve, but to be served. I came not to, to be served, but to serve. And the shocking thing was the death that he died upon the cross. And let's use a word that has more pathos. He died as a slave in order to set you and I free from our sins. That's the hesed. It's the loving kindness of God. And so the surprise of the Old Testament, for people who read the Old Testament, sometimes people will tell me, I I don't like to read the Old Testament. I'm troubled by the wars. I'm troubled by the judgments. It's important to remember this. Anytime you read about the judgments of God, they were always redemptive. Let me say that again. The judgments of God are always redemptive, that God is trying to bring good, and God is working to bring salvation to his people and to those who put their faith and trust in him and will serve him. So God's judgments are always redemptive, not only for us as people, but for the planet, for for creation, and for nature. So it's very important to remember that. And so in our lives, all of us have, we have Absaloms. We have those people who like to collect all the bad stuff on our lives. They, they just somehow or another are a magnet for the people who want to criticize us or want to complain about us. So we all have Absaloms, but we all need a Nathan in our life. You'll you'll collect Absaloms just the way that flies come to wallpaper, I mean to flypaper. You'll just collect Absaloms, but you need, you have to find a Nathan in your life. A Nathan is the, the prophet of God, the preacher of the word of God. He was the one that came to David when he sinned, and he says, David, you sinned. Now, when David was confronted with his sin, and I don't know if you remember, but years ago I preached a message on this in a Sunday morning service, where David said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned, and I asked the question, how could David say such a thing? How could that be left for us as the Bible? He committed adultery. He had Uriah murdered. He lied and covered it up to to the kingdom. How could he say against you and you only have I sinned? Because if I sin against you, I sin against God. If I sin against his children, I sin against him. We belong to God. God belongs to us by covenant. And so if we sin against one another, David recognized something that sometimes I don't think we tend to recognize. How I treat you is how I treat the Lord. And so loving kindness therefore becomes a part of our lives. But we also need Barnabases in our lives, and Barnabases are those who come to us because we're all flawed, we're all cracked, we we're all, we're all have failures in our life. That's the reason there are Absaloms out there, because they love to collect those stories of our failures, it makes them feel better about themselves. But we need those Barnabases that come alongside of us and point us to the loving kindness of God, the grace of God, the plan of God to make something of our lives the way he did for somebody like the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time. And if you're watching at home, I would suggest this for you as well. Just stand out of reverence and respect for for the word of the Lord. From 1 Timothy chapter 6, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith, and hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. He lives in life so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, but their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, so they may experience true life. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that in the next few minutes, as you help me to unpack this, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us. Let me be a Nathan as well as a Barnabas to this congregation and to those who are watching online today. Lord, let me bring the word of God. But let me also point people to the Hesed, the loving kindness of God. That, Lord, you were more than able to fulfill your good plan for them to do good. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Well, I'm wrapping up the series that we've been in called Do Good. Next week, I start a brand new series. We're calling The Knot. It's about marriage and family, and I know you're going to want to be a part of that. I am so excited, and we're going to illustrate that with a knot that uh, Becky and I are actually going to tie on the platform together next week. So I encourage you to invite someone, encourage someone to watch online if they can't be with us as well. One of the things that I've taken great pains in this series to say to you is this that is we are saved to do good works we are not saved by good works our good works don't save us because we would never know how many good works we had to do we could never be good enough to merit the blood of jesus so We're not preaching salvation by good works, but we're preaching that God has saved us to do good works. And over and over, that's told to us in the Bible. And God enables us to do that through the skills, the gifts, the talents, the time, the treasure, the abilities, the story that God has given to us. So the first thing I'd like to point you to this morning that Paul says to young Pastor Timothy and is left recorded for us as the word of the Lord is take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility for this one and only life that God has given you. Your greatest ability is not your musical ability. It's not your mechanical abilities. It's not your mental ability. It's not even your persuasive abilities. Your greatest ability is your responsibility. It's your ability to respond to the circumstances and the situations that God allows to come your way in life. It's your willingness to respond to those situations rather than to react to those situations. You know, there is someone among us that if you come in and, and you have to be very careful when you're coming around him because you don't want to frighten or startle him because he'll jump or he'll, he'll scream. And so we're, we're very careful when we knock on the door to knock quietly because we don't want to startle them. We love them. And so we're able to choose how we respond to them so that they're able to respond to us. Churchill called, Winston Churchill called responsibility the price of greatness. If you want to accomplish something great in your life, then you have to be responsible with the time, the talent, the treasure, and the testimony or life story that God has given you. Now, it's my faith in God. Now, listen, this is very important. It's my faith in God that determines not only my behavior, but my character and my ability to respond. It's that faith in God that determines what I'm going to become in life, not only now, but for eternity. I love what John Maxwell wrote in his book, Thinking for a Change. If you are successful, it becomes possible for you to leave an inheritance for others. In other words, you can leave some money or a house or something to those if you're successful financially in life. But if you desire to create a legacy, then you need to leave something in others. When you think unselfishly and invest in others, you gain the opportunity to create a legacy that will outlive you. Think about what Jesus did. It is Christ in us. Christ has invested in us. He invested his blood. He invested his life into us. He saved us from our sins. He gave us new life by his resurrection after he'd been crucified for us he gave us new life and now paul says christ lives within us the hope of glory what we are what christ's legacy is is found in his people who follow him and what you invest into other people by doing good into their lives is the legacy that you'll leave to your children i know plenty of people whose fathers and mothers have left for them an inheritance but they did not leave them a legacy. Children who have begrown. I've taken people back to the graves years, decades later because they wouldn't go back to their parents' graves because they were so bitter and we dealt with forgiveness, but they didn't have a legacy because their parents left an inheritance, but they didn't leave a legacy of time and love and spending time with them. I would remind us all that when it comes to doing good to others, God is watching us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. Everything is clear and lies open before him, and to him we must explain the way we have lived. One day each of us will give an accounting to God. Some of us sooner than later, for none of us know the time or the hour that we live in. We will give an accounting for this one and only life that God has blessed us with. And the Bible's very clear that we will say to God, this is what I've done with the time, the talent, and the treasure and the testimony you've given us. So Paul writes to young Timothy, leaves it for us as his word. He says to this, pursue righteousness, a godly life, along with faith, love, love, Perseverance and gentleness... Now, you've read your Bibles, you're familiar, this is almost like that passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 5 that he refers to as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what we're looking at really here is the fruit of the Spirit. So let me pop out for you real quickly what this means. To pursue righteousness, that means I'm seeking the presence of God. I want to be in the presence of the Lord, and I cultivate that by daily communion with Him. I cultivate that not just by a morning prayer time or morning worship time, but throughout the day, talking to the Lord about my day, about the decisions that come my way, the people that I meet. But, and the more you, you spend time with someone, the more you commune with them. And the more you commune with them, the better you get to know them. That's the reason that people that are closest to us are the people that we spend the most time communing with. That's the reason that for a parent, the the most painful time is when a child shuts down on them. For a husband or a wife, when the spouse shuts down on them. You know, I've been struggling with COVID the last few days. I'm almost embarrassed to say I had COVID because I haven't suffered anywhere, comparatively speaking to what other people have suffered and you have been so kind people have bought food gifts somebody bought chicken soup to the house and they they sent me a message and said i prayed over every that every spoonful of this soup pastor would be healing to your body And I thought of the verse of scripture that said that God would make even our food and our drink be health to us and be healing to us. And so as I ate that soup and it was so good, I I kept just saying, Lord, I thank you. And I receive this. It's healing to my body because they were bringing good into my life. But there is a closeness that we enjoy As pastor and parishioner, there's a closeness that Becky and I enjoy, as husband and wife, that my children and I enjoy. So righteousness is seeking the presence of God. But to pursue godliness means that I want a deeper relationship with God. I don't want a surface relationship. Now, when I talked to my doctor and he said I could come and preach today as long as I wore a mask when I was around people, when I talked to him, I said, so am I good to be able to to leave and go back upstairs and sleep with my wife be in the bed with my wife he goes yeah so i got home and i told becky i says we can go back to bed together we can sleep together i love her and so last night just laying next to becky in the bed it was like heaven because i love that deeper closer relationship that we have Godliness is saying, Lord, I want to be closer to you. Faith, pursuing faith, that means I want to apply what I'm learning. It's putting that relationship with God into action. That's the reason that I put a verb in all my points so that you can know what to do with what I'm teaching you and preaching. To pursue love means that I do good to others. That's what love is. Love is doing good, not harm to others. To pursue perseverance, well, that's having the courage, listen, That's having the spiritual courage to endure and stand fast in your faith. Look at me. Look at me right here in the eye for just a moment. I want everyone to get this. Every one of us, every one of us, your pastor included, we're going to be tempted to fall away from our faith from time to time. The enemy is always going to set traps trying to lure us from our faith. I was talking to one of the men in our church who does ice fishing. And he said, you know, some of my holes where I fish at, he said, they're this large. He says, they're, a man can fall through them. As a matter of fact, he said, I fell through one of my holes. So he says, every time I leave one of the fishing holes, he said, I cover it up with snow and I put pine boughs or I put flags or something in there so that people can see where the pits are. The enemy disguises his traps. You can't always see them, but if you pursued a deep and an intimate relationship with God and you're seeking to do good to others, you will know when the enemy is trying to lure you away from him and it takes spiritual endurance, perseverance to persevere. And then we pursue gentleness and the Bible just simply teaches us that gentleness is strength under control. Gentle people are not weak people, but we are strong people. I love what Daniel Webster said. The most important thought that ever occupied my mind is that of my individual responsibility to God. Would you read that with me? It's up on the screen. The most important thought that ever occupied my mind is that of my responsibility to God. Now later when you go home and maybe you look at these in your devotions this week, notice this. I want you to look. Not one of these concern your achievements but every one of these concern your character. Not one of these concern what you leave as an inheritance, but it does concern what you leave as a legacy for those that will follow you. Number two, God tells us then in this passage, as how we do good and we trust in the goodness of God. Use your money to do good. So often we think of our money as our trust in our security. We're told if we don't have this much, we're not secure. We're told if we haven't achieved this much, we're not secure. God says, if you're walking with me and living with me, you're secure. God will take care of us. And so he says, don't worry about trying to secure yourself with money, but trust me. Jesus is much more, now listen, Jesus is much more interested in why I give than how much I give. That's the reason that Jesus left us the story of the widow of the, and, and the, the widow's mite. And I remember my first time going to Jerusalem, and I bought a little widow's mite, and I went and thought about it, and was, I went to the Wailing Wall where the temple used to be, and I remember Jesus' story of all the wealthy men that were coming and dropping their bags of offerings and gifts, and Jesus looked at his disciples as they were watching this, and he said to them, you see this little widow woman? She has given her all. She's given because she loved me. She gave more than all these other wealthy men. I was called in to consult with a church that was having problems. And I will never forget a man standing up in this conflict this church was having, boasting about how much he gave to the church, boasting about how good a man he was. And I remember these words of Jesus, especially as I looked around at the widows and some poorer people in that church that I was sure were confident that they were weekly giving and tithing and trusting the Lord. And realizing this story, God was saying this man had his moment of glory. He was able to boast and try to drag a a group of people around him because of his wealth. Friends, my boast is like the is like the Apostle Paul's boast. Your boast is like the Apostle Paul's boast. We boast only in the cross of Christ. If we're going to brag at all, let's boast about how good Jesus is, and that's what the Scriptures have called us to do. Giving is not only a responsibility, but it's an opportunity, as Paul says, to do good. Because you gave in the Joyful Noise Christmas Offering, there are children drinking clean water today. Because you gave in the Joyful Noise Christmas Offering, there's a house being built in Nepal for a family who is homeless. Because you gave in the Christmas Offering, there are churches being built. There are schools being built. There are families being fed. Brothers and sisters, we've done good, and we did it at Christmas time, where everybody is tempted to spend more on ourselves than we are to spend upon others. And we did it beyond our regular tithes and offerings. You see, giving is my response to God's goodness, both in the past, in the present, and in the future. This is what Paul says. Use your money to do good. I don't know if you ever listened to Bishop T.D. Jakes, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to preach like he does. I love to hear that man preach. But he wrote in his book, Maximize the Moment, he wrote these words, Riches are what you have, but wealth is what you are. You're wealthy in opportunities, wealthy in creativity, wealthy in the chance to prioritize your life, maximize your potential, and reassess your strengths. You're wealthy because God loves you. Will you say that with me this morning? You are wealthy because God loves you. Read it off the screen. You are wealthy because God loves you. Now look at your neighbor this morning. And tell them, you are wealthy because God loves you. I'm gonna tell you something. That brings joy. That makes my little boy jump up and down inside. It makes something happen to me. Listen, if my children didn't love me, if my wife didn't love me, if this congregation didn't love me, God loves me. If you didn't love me, or my wife, or my children didn't love me, I tell you, my life would be poor, I would be sad but still because God loves me. That's the reason it is so important that we recognize what the Hesed of God is. Don't let that ever slip out of your mind. That when God covered Moses and the glory of God passed by, it wasn't how powerful, it wasn't how omniscient or how much he knew. It was this, that God is full of loving kindness and to the children and the generations of a thousand generations that follow after him, God loves us this morning. So let's have the right perspective on money. Let's have the right perspective. The Bible says true godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. This week, a friend of mine who lives in another state who heard that I was sick, and I was his pastor in his younger years, and today he's a very successful businessman, has a company that has been franchised across the nation, and he called just to check on me. And we got to talking about stewardship. And he told me, he said, you know, you taught me about stewardship. And he says, when I teach people now about stewardship, he said, this is how I teach them. He says, I say, watch a groomsman at a wedding. He said, watch the goofy groomsman. He said, they're all there. They're wanting to have fun. They're wanting to pull a prank. They're wanting to do things. But he said, groomsmen have got a rented tuxedo on that they know could cost them $1,000 to have to replace. And he says, it doesn't matter what's going on. They are so careful not to stain, not to damage, not to tear that tuxedo. Because they know they are stewards of that tuxedo. And if they tear it up, they've got to replace it. And he says, one day, I'm going to give my body back to God. One day, I'm going to give everything that God has blessed me with. I'm going to give it back to God. And I will give an accounting to God for how I've used what I have. So godliness, that sense of wanting a deeper relationship with God, I have Christ in my life. I have a family that loves me. I have a church family that loves me. I have a purpose and a mission in life. I can be content. But godliness is not about passivity. You can still dream Right after the first service this morning, a young man came up and talked to me about this. And he says, can I, can I still dream about getting married and having a family? Can I still dream about the career I want? I go, absolutely. I said, we may be living in the last days. I expect Jesus to come at any time. But I plan like it may be another 500 years before Jesus comes. Do I expect him to come at any moment? Absolutely. But I plan. And the fact that God gives you dreams and desires that's God's work in you. Godliness is not passivity, but godliness is seeking to please God the way husbands and wives should seek to please each other. You know, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that a husband should seek to please his wife and that a wife should seek to please her husband. Honey, You are very pleasing to me. I just want to go on record before God and everybody this morning. You are very pleasing to me. The thing is, I should seek to be even more pleasing to her. The thing is, I should seek to be even more pleasing to God. By giving him thanks and using this one and only life that I have. I'm not ashamed to admit that I look for ways to bring joy to Becky's heart. I'm not ashamed to admit that we have this, this love affair that just consumes us. I'm not ashamed of that at all. Because godliness, listen, godliness is more than a confession. Saying that I love Becky is more than a confession. Saying that I love Becky means that I seek to please Becky. Saying that you love your wife or your husband means you seek to please them. And saying that we love God because he first loved us means we seek to please the Lord with everything within us. Does that make sense? That's what God has called us to do. So Paul then goes on in verse 7 and 8 and he says, So after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. There's a song on Chris Tomlin's album, Chris Tomlin and Friends, and you can listen to it, I guess, on Spotify or Apple Music. But one of the lyrics in that song is, thank you, Lord, for the small things. Thank you, Lord, for the small things like me and her on the front porch swing. That may not sound like a whole lot, but when you have that, and you have joy and contentment in that, you're a rich, rich man. Secondly, listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord. You might want to jot this down in the side notes of your outline or in your app. In Isaiah 50 and verse 4, Isaiah says, I listen to your word every morning. I listen for your voice every morning. How? By studying the word of God. One time Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you not heard? In other words, you've read the Bible, you've read the Torah, you've read the, you've read the prophets, you've read the law, you've read the writings. Have you not heard? Do you just read your Bible mindlessly? Did you just read the Torah? Did you just read it without any thought? Did you listen to the voice of God in the scripture? I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord, but so many times reading my Bible, working on this message, God speaks to my heart. God illuminates something in my life. Can I just let you in on a little secret? A sermon is never finished. A sermon is never finished. When I finish a sermon, there's always thoughts that keep coming back into my mind, more scriptures, more ideas, and I realize a sermon is never finished. Can I tell you from the authors that I've talked to, a book is never finished, because when they publish the book, they're always telling me, there's this that came to mind, or this that came to mind. Friends, if we listen, the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us. So let's pick up again with the passage of verse 9. But people who long to be rich... I mean, this is their goal in life. This is what they're seeking. They fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, remember the story of the, the ice fishing, the pit. Satan hides his things. The brother from our congregation told me, he says, a lot of people don't mark their holes. They just leave them and then it snows And it covers up the hole and people are riding a snowmobile across the lake or they're driving across the lake or they're walking across and they slip and they go under and they drown. You see, when your longing is for anything other than God, you're much more likely to fall into a pit. Verse 10, he goes on to say, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice it's not money, it's the love of money. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So how can I obey what the word of the Lord says and do good? I begin with tithing, putting God first in my life. Tithing is a statement of gratitude. I bring to the Lord my first fruits and say, Lord, thank you for giving me the strength and the ability to be able to earn a living for my family. Thank you for the ideas. Thank you that you are the source of life. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me so that I might give to others. Though he was rich, the Bible says, Jesus became poor that we might become rich. But tithing is also a statement of priority. It says, I put God first in my life. I, I balance my priorities. In my life, in my life, I think I've summed these up for you before. I, I balance my life with five P's. There's personal, my personal walk with the Lord. There's partner, my marriage with Becky. There's parent, my, my relationship with my four children and my four grandchildren. There's pastor, my relationship with you. And there's pilgrim, my walk with others in the, in the community, with people that, in other churches, as well as people that are lost, and being sure that I live as a pilgrim. So I balance my priorities, I balance them, my time, my talent, my treasure, and my life story. In other words, stewardship is lordship. And then finally, tithing is a statement of faith. It says, God, I'm not trusting my money for the future. I'm not trusting my 401k. I'm not trusting my pension. I'm not trusting social security. I'm not trusting anyone but you. God, you've got this. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not responsible Remember, responsibility is your greatest ability. I put God first. It's the expectation that God will be first in my life. And then finally this morning, I live a focused life. I live a focused life. The Oxford High School shooting shook me this year, or this past year. I was talking one day with our Youth Alive director, Michigan and I struggled with it it's been years since I personally have been called to a campus where there's been violence and you don't forget it you just don't forget it my heart breaks for the parents of those who lost their children my heart breaks for the students who witnessed the violence the slayings, the bloodshed, they won't ever forget it. My heart breaks for the first responders, the police officers that I've talked to, and says, I can't get those images out of my mind. My heart breaks for the pastors that have to preach the funerals. My mind doesn't go to what so many other people's minds seem to go to, whether it's politics or gun control laws, pro or con, but my heart breaks. We never forget Columbine. We never forget Sandy Hook. And then it just came so close to our community at Oxford. As I was praying and just seeking God for comfort for these families and on that particular Sunday, how to address our congregation and to lead our church and our Saturday night prayer service. I was reminded of the words of Jesus that in the last days there would be worldwide lawlessness. As Russia gathers its troops on the border of Ukraine, as war continues to rage in the Middle East, as there's war throughout the continent of Africa places that I've wanted to go back to that aren't even safe to go back to is short-term missionaries like we've sent from our church or kidnapped in Haiti by gangs. As our borders become, it seems like, places of warfare. I could go around the world as Hong Kong is is being put under the the pressure of China and, and prisoners being put away for life, pastors being put away for life in China. As the Muslim world continues to erupt, not only in their, 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 their violence against Western democracies, but their violence against one another, there's worldwide lawlessness. Graves are dug every day for people that shouldn't die. Somewhere every single day, every six se- look at me, look at me. Every six seconds, a child dies. Every six seconds, a mother or father grieves Jesus said that in the last days there would be natural convulsions and you just witness again another volcanic eruption that nearly destroyed the island of Tonga. Dwayne Jones, who stood here at our, behind our pulpit and preached the gospel, was the first missionary in the Tonga, and his family paid a heavy price. His, his children were almost murdered. They had to be evacuated from the island. Dwayne stayed in order to reach the Tongan people. Paid a heavy price. They carved a, nut, they carved a, a cross into his son's chest as Dwayne continued to preach the gospel and would not leave and now there's been an island wide revival and I was at the general council when the Tongan choir came to sing there and now this island just about wiped out by this volcano and it seems like more and more of these earthquakes and volcanoes are happening Jesus said that would happen I googled was there an increase in it and yes we're seeing something happening in our world Jesus predicted in the last days there would be an overemphasis on sex. And for the first time, people don't want to be identified as male and female, but they want to be identified by their sexual preferences or how they choose to have sex. It makes no sense. Jesus said in the last days there would be an acceleration of technology. I thought email connected the world. But we have seen just how interconnected the world is now with our technology and Zoom and wonderful opportunities for both good and evil. I was in our family room praying about this. I was home alone and last year, I just couldn't imagine the pain of those parents bearing their children. I was praying for them that Christmas time, somehow or another, the the peace of God, the joy of Christ would permeate their hearts. And it was that moment that the thought crossed my mind, Noah, love the moments when your son wakes up. Love the moments, Rich, when you're playing with your grandchildren. Love the moments when you're sitting in front of a fire or in a warm house having a good meal I don't mean to be light but love the moments when you're sitting down and you're having your favorite meal and savor the fried chicken and the banana pudding love the moments of life that sometimes don't seem so important but when they're gone you miss them forever The moment when my dad and I could just sit in front of a fire and talk. The moment when my dad and I could just walk together. The moments when Becky's dad would call me and talk to me and say, son, I enjoyed that message you preached today. When I was a teenager, those of you that are my generation You'll remember a lot of the folk singers, they sang a lot about death and dying. Vietnam was raging. There were all kinds of questions coming up about death and dying. We wanted to know what happened. I would preach about that topic from time to time. What happens after I die? I preached it as a youth pastor. I, I preached it as a, as a senior pastor. I preached it when I traveled I preached it here at this church. I'll preach it again this year. What happens after I die? Today's movies give us the imaginations of what people want to believe happens after they die. Some of them are so fantastic that I've watched, and my curiosity is as a preacher of the gospel and to hear what the culture is saying. Some of it's built out of Eastern religions, some of it is just totally made up, some of it is full of despair. Some of it is so dystopian that the world will never get better. But the Bible gives us a clear picture of what to focus on. Focus your life. Heaven is a place where there will be no more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more hungry children, no more war, no more digging of graves. It's a life where we will have this creative relationship with God and creative relationship with one another. Somebody else asked me after the first service, says, what will our relationship be like with other people? I said, oh, we will know each other even as we are known. There will be no need for the smiling mass. There will be no need to hide from our past. There will be no need for a Barnabas or for a Nathan. And there will be no Absaloms there collecting the bad stuff. Because we will be known even as we are known by Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What is hell? I don't really know. I know I won't be there because of the grace of God and God alone. But I do know it is a place of eternal suffering and torment and separation from God. And you and I will only be in heaven by the grace of God through Christ. So Paul says in closing, if you'll stand with me, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life every time my son has to head off to a conflict i take comfort in two things that i know the lord is going to watch over him And I know that in watching over him, that whether he lives or whether he dies, heaven will be his home because he stored up a good foundation for the future. But the meanwhile, when we're together, we don't focus upon what conflicts he may have to go into or where he goes. We enjoy the small moments of life. He loves tandoori chicken. And so we'll eat tandoori chicken and dip it in sauce. He loves to make homemade hummus. And so we'll make the hummus and we'll eat the hummus together. We'll go for long walks. He'll have on a backpack of 70 pounds and we'll talk. And those are moments I live for the small moments. Whitmer wrote in his book, Becoming Worldly Saints, we must see God's gifts of creation as windows into his glory and opportunities to praise him. But we must also find pleasure in them. We should thank God for our day on the lake, but we don't need to say praise you Jesus with each cast. But we must thank God for our daily bread. It's okay to focus on the flavors of our sandwich while we're eating it. I don't go while we're walking. Son, I'm so glad. Praise God we get to walk together. I don't go while we're eating tandoori chicken. Praise God for this tandoori chicken. But before I go to sleep at night, I say, God, thank you for another day to enjoy the goodness of God to trust the goodness of God, and to do good with this one and only life that I have. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, and then we're going to go home. I'm going to pray from Psalms chapter 40, chapter 41, I should say, and I just want you to receive this this morning. Would you just lift your hands towards heaven? Lift them like this, like you're going to receive from the Lord. You're, you're going to receive this Father, I pray these words from Psalm 41. Oh, the joy of those who are kind to the poor. You will rescue us when we are in trouble. For it's the Lord who protects us and keeps us alive. And you give us prosperity in the land. And you rescue us from our enemies. And when we are sick, Lord, it is you who nurses and restores us to health. Now, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will fulfill each of these promises as a blessing in the life of those here and those listening online. And for those who haven't crossed the line, Lord, I pray this morning they will commit their life to you, trusting your hesed, your loving kindness. You love them, Lord. I bring them a Nathan... A preacher like myself Lord that will preach the truth a Barnabas Lord that will be an encourager to them and if that's you will you just pray these words say Heavenly Father thank you for sending Jesus to save me from my sins I thank you for loving me and as much as I know how I commit my life to you today Do good through me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord watch over you. Smile upon you. Have a great afternoon. I'm not going to come back and greet you, but if you'd like prayer or want to talk, I'll be right down front with a mask on. God bless.